right, open your Bibles up to uh, 1 Corinthians 11. How many of you here were here last week? Would you raise your hand up? Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of do part two on that, but I'm gonna go back a little, and we're gonna go a little deeper, and we're gonna talk about significance. Um, some of you may know this, but uh, I'm sort of in process of writing a book, and I am um, I'm actually planning on writing a book on significance, and the title of it is probably going to be Scandalous Love. How many love that title? Come on, it's so scandalous. And uh, somebody prophesied over the book, and uh, it's a guy who didn't even know what I was going to title it, and he actually saw the title Crazy Love, and he prophesied the book would go around the world and change lives because of the love of God. Uh, well, that I know you're not that excited, but that excited me because I believe the message and the heartbeat of it is so important, and it, it and if we get this, we you know, and what I'm going to talk about um, is is really some stuff that I think is fundamental, not just for Christians to walk with God and, and do things right. And because I mean, we, we make mistakes and we mess up. And, but the root of it, I think, is not knowing our significance. The root of our relationship issues is not knowing our significance. The root of our marriage problems, those of us that are married, is not knowing our significance. The root of our church culture issues that every church has is not knowing our significance. And what I mean by that is not knowing how valuable we are as a part of the body of Christ. Um, and last week we read in 1 Corinthians 12 how every part of the body is significant. Did you enjoy last week? And so we're going to go a little further, and I want to I share my heart with you and some scripture and then a beautiful story out of a book that I, I will highly recommend to you in just a moment. So are you ready for that? All right, and uh, I'll probably have, have you out by 11.30. And I know it's not football season, but um, it's lunch season. So thank you, Jesus. Every day is lunch season, yes. Second lunch, first dinner, second dinner, third dinner. That's my life. Just a little glimpse. Okay, so 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Now, 1 Corinthians is a beautiful letter uh, written to a church that had problems. Well, I guess we can all identify with that, huh? Written to people that were humans, um, and and written to people that didn't know their significance. And in chapter twelve, Paul discusses the gifts. But before he discusses all the gifts uh, and the order of the gifts and the gift, which is chapter thirteen, which is the the love chapter. Come on, you got to say it like that though. The love chapter. We read it at weddings. Come on, we can say it like that. So he talks about the gifts. Then he talks about the gift. Then he talks about the order of the gifts. But before he talks about the gifts and our significance as the body of Christ, which the mystery that we are the body of Christ, not just as a church right here in Henderson, Encounter Church Las Vegas, but as the collective body of Christ, which is worldwide probably around 2 billion people. That's pretty amazing. We could just stop and think about that for a minute. But the body of Christ, this mystery that we are individual members of one body, and Paul says that, just because you're a part of the body that maybe isn't seen as much doesn't make you less significant. Actually, it makes you more significant. And knowing our significance is what brings us into the proper function. He says it in uh, 1 Corinthians 12 that basically, if we don't know our significance, then it's going to be hard to function together. 
And so that's what I want to talk to you about today. And we're going to jump back to chapter 11 where he discusses some things. Now, this a lot of people know this chapter because he, he, he talks about the head covering and worship and uh, the husband and the wife and that the husband's the head of the wife and, and the husband's the protector of the wife. The husband is the one who grooms and cultivates and loves and cherishes the wife. Come on, husbands, where are you at? I don't hear you. You know, I found out that my marriage is blessed when my wife knows how significant she is and I cherish her. Happy wife, happy life truly is a very wise saying. Amen. Now, if you've only been married a few years, you didn't say amen. But if you've been married over 10 years, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Matter of fact, the guys that were only married a few years might have got elbowed for not saying it. But marriage is so important, but it's this fundamental understanding, even in a marriage, that there's a proper order. And how many of there's we're equal, but there's a, there's a place of headship the husband gives, not in a subservient way, but a protective, honoring, and cherishing way. And this is what Paul's dealing with. And then, of course, the famous, you know, head covering thing. Now, listen, the Bible was not written to you. It was written for you, but not to you. And it's not one book. It's a lot of different books. So if we don't know who he was writing to, who the author is and who the reader is, we could take it out of context. There's some churches that will read this and say, oh, we got to have head coverings on. Now, listen, that's not what Paul was dealing with. Paul was addressing something in the culture where a head covering was worn by a wife, beautiful head covering, by a wife, or somebody such as my daughter, that is still with us in the household and has not been married yet. And so what he was addressing is it's shameful for women not to, it doesn't mean that today in our culture, women have to cover their heads when they pray. But in this culture, what was happening is there's ladies showing up without a head covering, ladies that were either married or young daughters that were with their, with their parents still. And what, what was happening is it was almost like the, the way the wife would wear a head covering, it was like wearing a wedding ring. So these believers were coming together without their wedding rings on. And so a brother would see a sister and start hollering. And then the husband would come in and there was a little bit of Jerry Springer going on. <laughs> and this is what Paul's dealing with. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but it's good stuff because it's cultural context. See, when we interpret the scripture, we've got to read it in the historical context. I I mean, I could just start going off on this right now about, you know, like microchips being the number of the beast. That is so much conjecture, it's not even funny. Or like when it's talking about the false prophet or the beast, like, or the the whore of Babylon, it's like, it's, you know, Obama and somebody else. Give me a break. When John was on the island of Patmos, he was not writing about your president. I mean... Okay, that's a whole nother story. But listen, Paul is dealing with some things. He's trying to bring order. He's trying to bring chaos to uh, peace. He's trying to, he even says in 1 Corinthians 14 that God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. And so he's trying to bring shalom, the peace of God, where nothing's missing, nothing's broken. And one of the ways he does this is by introducing how significant everybody is. And But I, there's this little part it's just such a treasure. Right after he deals with the husband-wife thing, verse 17, 1 Corinthians 11, it says, 
In the following directives, I have no praise for you. Wow, that's encouraging, Paul. Thank you. Can you imagine if I just opened up the service? I'm not going to compliment you, church, one bit because y'all got problems. I'm sure we'd lose some people (laughs) pretty quick. He says, for your meetings, do much more harm than good. Wow. He's saying, if you are operating in the wrong value system and culture, gathering is not going to help you. Now, that kind of reminds me of like, you know, like we could come together in the name of whatever, unity in the name of, but if something's going on in here that's not right, how many know it's not going to do much good, right? You, married couples, you can go on a thousand dates, but if you've chosen in your heart not to orient your heart at your spouse, the date ain't going to make much of a difference. You just be spending a lot of money on food and stuff like that and flowers and shopping. Oh, God. I'm sorry. I just, my wife went shopping last night. I just had a little anxiety come over me. Ooh, glory. So how many know the heart is important? Paul says, listen, you're coming together and it's not even helping you. Why? Because something isn't right inside of you. Now, here's what he says. He says, in the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, as a people, first of all, again, let me rephrase, you're not the church alone. You're the church together. I got Jesus juked one time by a brother at a fast food restaurant. I, I saw he had like a really cool Jesus shirt on or something. And I said, hey, nice shirt, bro. Praise God. He's like, amen, you know. And, uh, and, and, I, and I said, where do you go to church? He's like, I am the church. And I'm just like, Jesus, help this man. Lord, have mercy upon us. And I said, well, let me rephrase the question. Where do you fellowship? He's like, right here with you. And I'm thinking, I don't even know you, bro, and I don't want to fellowship with you. That's what I'm thinking in my mind. You're Jesus juking me. I'm just asking you where you go to church, bro. But here's the thing is, you're not the church alone. You're the church together. Man, we, we've made it so much about ourselves. It's like you walk into some circles of Christianity and you, you might get sucked into a narcissistic black hole. It's all about you, apparently. Like, listen, we're supposed to come together and love one another and and lift each other up and give of ourselves, but we can't do any of that unless we know we're valuable. How can you give value to someone else if it's not if it's not inside of you? You know, oh, I'm just overflowing with joy. The podcasters won't get that because I've made a really somber face. So Paul's dealing with this thing here. Now look what he says. It says that you come together, there are divisions among you. And then he says, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt, this is powerful, that there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. Wow. This is a test. This is only a test. How many ever felt like life is a test sometimes? And you just want to say, when is it going to be over? Am I the only one in junior high when you have the tests with A, B, C, D, you just like do a little nice little pattern all the way down and try to make it different? Am I the only one who did that? When you got sick of the test, you're like, okay, I'm just going to do a pattern and maybe I'll get a few of these right. Sometimes we do that in life, don't we? Oh, it's a test, huh? God, thanks a lot. But in community, in community, there is a trying 
There's an iron, iron sharpening iron. There is a, an abrasive thing that happens. There's a friction. And it can either be extremely unholy and unpleasant or it can be holy and pleasant depending on the orientation of your heart. If your, intation, your inti- orientation is to give of yourself, it can be very pleasant. If it's not, same thing in a marriage, it can be very unpleasant. It's a relationship and there's an interchange and, it, and, and we must be self-giving. And so Paul says, listen, God is approving those that are among you. And so don't look at division as, oh my gosh, the devil is after us. Now the enemy might use it if we let him. But divisions are a sign that God is testing. So make sure you pass the test. And if we don't know our significance, it's hard. And we'll often not pass that test and that trying period of the fire of God's love, of being unoffendable, or just not talking about something openly. You know, so many times in Christianity, there's so many taboo things, like you can't talk about this, you can't talk about sex. You can't talk about this. And, and all it does is it creates more problems. Instead of living from the heart and dealing with things the way they should be dealt with, we sweep the dust under the rug and we leave the things that should be talked about openly to behind closed doors in secret, which just creates more problems and good. And Paul's like, don't think no thing of division except God's approving you. So pass the test. Come on, somebody. I feel like I'm preaching a lot better than you're responding, so maybe you'll get saved if I read a few more verses here. Amen. I'm just kidding with you. So Paul's saying, listen, this is the, this, then he moves into the gifts and, and the significance of every part of the body. You've got to know how significant you are. I'm telling you, if you don't know how valuable you are your whole life, you'll be, where do I fit in? Where do I belong? How many have ever thought that? How many thought it today? I did. No, I'm just <laughs> I need a sozo, Clara. Can you pray for me? How many, you know, where do I belong? This is a process of discovering, first of all, the heart of God for us, knowing how much he, oh, how he loves us. Where the, the Apostle Paul, like we read last week, he prays, I want you to be rooted in love, not rooted in your gifts and your abilities and your talents, but rooted in love, rooted in sonship, in daughtership. Come on, daughters. Rooted that you know that you're a child of God and you don't need to, You don't need to do anything to feel special. You don't need to prophesy or preach or pray or lead worship or do any or whatever it is that we do well. We don't need to do anything to serve in the kitchen, Martha. We don't need to do anything to feel special. We just need to be before we do. Being comes before doing or you just got do, 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 do. There's other words I could use right now, but I won't because my wife will give me a hard time later. So you can't say that in church, honey. Precious. We got to be before we do. We're human beings, not human doings. Hello? We got to be rooted in love. We got to know the heart of God for us, man. We got to know how much he loves us. I mean, Can you imagine if we just overflowed with the love of God as a community, just one community, we all did our part. Imagine how everyone around us would feel significant. I'm going to tell you something. The goal of my life is I want to be, listen, it'll be many years from now, but at my my memorial service, 
I want everyone to get up and say, he made me feel so significant. I want everyone in my life, and I believe that's the heart of God. I want to capture the heart of God, knowing that, listen, you are, you are significant, you are valuable, and you are loved, and the Father's heart beats for you way beyond you could imagine. You know, we say like, oh, Daddy God, and we, it, it's just, we just learn the lingo. That's just the beginning of the revelation of the Father's love. Oh, yeah, I know my identity. Oh, stop it. I know the finished work of Jesus. But we act like crazy people and we know all this scripture. How about we just sit and be and know the love of God and then start walking in healthy marriage and healthy family and healthy community. Come on. You see, God is, God is approving those that are among the church of Corinth. And so this happens as we mature in love. You can't mature in love without hard times. Just the way it is. And you've got to learn to to say, you know what? If I can't be separated from the love of God, listen to this profound truth. In Romans 8, we, we all love the verse. It says, nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. Just think about it. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Yet we allow the dumbest stuff to separate us from one another. And our relationship with one another directly mirrors our relationship with God. So when we value each other, we're actually honoring God because we're made in the image of God. You know, in the historical church, when if you look back and some churches still do it traditionally, they burn incense. How many were ever part of a church with the bells and smells? <laughs> I remember my first time, my, my grandfather's funeral, they had incense. I'm like, smells funny in here, man weird. You know why they do that? One of the reasons, it doesn't just represent worship and prayer. It represents honoring the humans in the room because they're made in the image of God. So you're honoring God, but you're also honoring one another. Not worship, honor. Isn't that beautiful? It's almost like there's a fragrance that we can release to one another. Like, God, I I want this person to feel honored, which is, I want them to feel significant, valuable, blessed, important. Come on. That we release the fragrance of Christ to one another. In words, in deed, that we say, God, I want to serve them. How can I serve them? There's some people that serve so well. They're so loyal, so faithful. You know, sometimes my wife and I are so overwhelmed by the honor that we feel. You guys honor us well. The people of God. I mean, there's nothing like feeling significant, not because you have a position, but just because you're you. Not because you have a ministry, but just because you're you. And this is what I believe the whole message is about. Now, let me read a couple more verses to you, and then we'll close. Ephesians chapter 1. I've only been going for 15 minutes. I'm doing fine, y'all. Felt like 20, but I'm good. Ephesians chapter 1. This is so beautiful. Ephesians chapter 1, I'm going to read six verses to you in the message. Paul, I'm under God's plan as an apostle, a special agent of Christ Jesus, writing to you faithful Christians in Ephesus. I greet you with the grace and peace poured out into our lives by God our Father and our Lord, our Master Jesus Christ. Isn't that beautiful? Now look at the next few verses here. 
How blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He is the father of our master, Jesus Christ. And he takes us to the high places of blessing in him. One, one version says, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's where you are right now. And we're still striving for a blessing. Oh, God, just, God, we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. That's what God says about you. That's where you're at. That's your position. If we knew our position in his heart, we wouldn't be jockeying for position everywhere else in society and in church, would we? I can just learn his heart and we learn a new value system. He says here, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. Verse four, long before he laid down earth's foundations, he had us in mind. Oh man, come on. He settled us. He settled on us as the focus of his love to meet, to be made whole and holy by his love. You know what makes you whole? The love of God. Do you know what makes you holy? The love of God. Just receive his love. Not trying, not striving, not try. I got to change my behavior. No, you just need to let God love you and you'll change. Just let him love you. Stop beating yourself up. Stop making yourself feel guilty. Stop being so sin conscious. Hebrews 10 deals with this. It says the law makes you more sin conscious. Be more Jesus conscious that he forgave you and he loves you and you'll change. Just knowing his love, it heals us. But he says before earth's foundations, he settled on us as the focus of his love. That means before creation, before everything else, even think about it like this, before angels were created, Come on, before anything was created, what was there? It's not a trick question. Stars. No, God, right? (laughs) The Milky Way. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Living in perfect harmony and love. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. And the Holy Spirit is the union between them, this beautiful harmony between the triune Godhead. And they said, hey, guess what? Let's let's make it humans in our image and let's make a creation so they can be a part of this circle, this union of love and joy and hope and fellowship that we exist in. Wow. So God saw you. He said, before I create anything, forget the angels right now, before I create the world, the whole entire cosmos and billions of galaxies, I'm going to, I'm going to create Rochelle. And I'm going to say, I want her to be a part of this love. I'm going to create me a Jeff and a Patty. Come on. Just think God calls you by your name. He looks at you. And he says, you're my, you were created to know that you belong to him. You were created. Listen, we don't need to strive for where we belong when we know where we belong, which is in his heart. And when you know where you belong, when you know, listen, I was raised by a, mom and a dad that loved me. My father made me feel so significant. My dad made me feel so significant. And I remember friends that, that never had that. They never felt like they belonged. And when you don't have that, you don't know who you are. Why is it that affirmation and, and, and uh, that type of love makes people healthy emotionally and physically? Because we were created for it from the very beginning. We just read it in Ephesians 1. So that that leads me to say that when we don't get that, we just learn dysfunctionally. Hello. 
So you've got to know that you belong. You've got to know that you're the focus of the Father's love right now. I mean, the very heartbeat of God and the eyes of God are looking at you and he's smiling. He's like, man, look at how awesome they are. I made them so unique that I'm going to give them their own fingerprint and I'm going to count every hair on their head. And to some, it's going to be real easy. Come on, somebody. But he's looking at you and he says, you are unique. Nobody's like you. Nobody's like you in in, in the whole universe. There's nobody like you. Why? Because you're an expression of who God is. You are a daughter and a son of God. And he loves you. And and listen, he'll never get over you. He'll chase you forever. He'll keep running you down. This is why C.S. Lewis says the flames of God's hell are the same flames of his love. It's love to those that are oriented in his love. But it's torment to those that reject it. That's actually the understanding of the early church for hundreds of years. That's how they looked at the afterlife. It's powerful. God's eternal fiery love is always going to burn for you. There's nothing, you can't escape it. You can't escape it. And that's why he sent Jesus. Not because of a legal problem, but because of an organic problem, sin. And he wanted his creation back. He wanted your heart back. He wanted a relationship with you back. Come on, somebody. So he goes on, he says, long, long ago, he decided to adopt us. Oh, come on. Come on, you know the whole world's adopted? They just don't know it? Now they can reject it, but the papers are signed. And we're called to deliver them. And they don't need to be perfect before they receive them. When they receive them, it changes them. It's the goodness of the message of love, acceptance, and forgiveness in Jesus Christ that brings people to reorient their lives at God. Come on. I want to read you this beautiful quote real quick. I didn't plan on this, so I've got to find it. It's such a powerful quote from a guy named Callistus Ware. Callistus Ware, he's a theologian. Listen, listen to what he says. I have to find it. Jesus, help me. To repent is to smile, not to frown. To look up, not down. It is the recognition that the thing, it is not the recognition that things have gone wrong, but the realization that through Christ they can be put right. It is not the sight of our own ugliness, but the vision of God's beauty. See, repentance in Westerners' mind is turn from your sin, turn or burn. But it must first be turned to a loving God. And in that, we turn from the ugliness of sin. But it is first turning to the beauty of a Savior. So he says, he decided to adopt us. God decided to adopt you. There's nothing you can, you're stuck with him forever. He loves you. He loves you. You belong to him. And he belongs to you. So he goes on and he says, uh, what a pleasure he took in planning this. 
I love that. It's beautiful, man. It's like God says, they just sat around just, and can you imagine the Godhead? I mean, we could just put it in figurative terms. They're laughing and they're just talking about, oh, we're going to create the world and we're going to name them. They're all going to be unique and we're going to make them in our image. Genesis 2, 7, he breathed into Adam the breath of life. They took natural substance and, and they breathed in God's stuff and, and then Adam became a living soul and God took pleasure in planning you and planning your life and he took pleasure in knowing you were going to exist. Why? Just so he could pour out his love on you. That's the message of the good news. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavished gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Come on. I had another scripture I was going to read, but I'm going to, I'm going to close with this story. There's a beautiful book that I really encourage every single one of you to read if you've never read it. Um, Brendan Manning is a great author. He's written a book called, uh, most of you are familiar with the book, one of his bestsellers, The Ragamuffin Gospel. Is anybody familiar with that book? Uh, This one here is one of my favorites, and it's called The Furious Longing of God. Who here has read this? Raise your hand up. Anybody? Oh, man, there's a lot of hands that didn't go up. So I'm giving you a gift right now. I want you to, uh, that doesn't mean I'm giving the book out right now. (laughs) Oops. You ever say something you wish you could grab the words back? The Furious Longing of God. How many know the song Abba? I want you guys to have that ready in just a minute. You can just go ahead, bro, and play and uh, hold something there, and then we'll, we'll go into that song in a moment because I want you to soak in it and just get blessed by it as we dismiss. But the song Abba was inspired by a prayer of Brendan Manning. And this, uh, this story that I'm going to read you is the story of, of how he taught this prayer to somebody who's really broken. And, and here, here it goes. He says, I'll never forget a retreat experience years ago in the Midwest. It was rather a large gathering, about 7,000 people. An invitation for healing prayer followed each night's service. I would go into a side room and meet with those who felt compelled to come. On one particular night, the line extended well beyond midnight and after finishing. I went straight to bed, not even taking my clothes off. I was so exhausted. About three o'clock in the morning, I heard a rap on the door and a squeaky little voice. Brennan, can I talk to you? I opened the door and found a 78-year-old nun. She began to cry. Can you get the picture in your mind? Sister, what can I do for you? We found two chairs in the hallway and her story began. I never told anyone this my entire life and it started when I was five years old. She begins to tell a story about how she was abused by her father. She gets into some details, which I won't read. But then he goes on and she does say, she goes on and says, when I was nine, my father took my virginity. By the time I was 12, I knew of every kind of sexual perversion you read about in dirty books. Brennan, do you have any idea how dirty I feel? I've lived with so much hatred of my father and hatred of myself that I would only go to communion when my absence would be conspicuous. In the next few minutes, I prayed with her for healing. Then I asked if she would find a quiet place every morning for the next 30 days. Sit down in a chair close her eyes, turn up her palms, and pray this phrase over and over. Abba, I belong to you. 
It's a prayer of exactly seven syllables, the number that corresponds perfectly to the rhythm of our breathing. As you inhale, Abba. As you exhale, I belong to you. Through her tears, she agreed. Now think about this lady was 80 years old. She never shared this with anyone. 80 years old. She's been holding on to this. She said in tears, yes, Brennan, I will. One of the most moving and poetic follow-up letters I've ever received came from this sister. In it, she described the inner healing of her heart, a complete forgiveness of her father, and an inner peace she'd never known in her 78 years. She concluded her letter with these words. A year ago, I would have signed the letter with my real name in religious life, Sister Mary Genevieve. But from now on, I'm daddy's little girl. Be aware, this is not sloppy, sentimental love or indulgent wishful thinking, but rather a woman who dared pray in the childlike trust and deep reverence that Jesus said would mark a disciple. And in doing so, discovered the furious love of her Abba. Isn't that beautiful? He goes on, he says, the greatest gift I've ever received in my life in Jesus is the Abba experience. I can only stutter and stammer about life-changing power of the Abba encounter. My name is Brennan Manning, and I am Daddy's little boy. I want you to close your eyes right now. I want to just pray for you. I want to release. I just want to pray that, I pray the love of God just consumes your heart right now. We all make mistakes. We all do things that aren't right with God, but he loves us and he wants us to be transformed by his love. As this song plays, I want you to receive the Father's love. as this song plays. Just come. I just want to open the altars and I want to pray for some up here. We're going to release our prayer team in just a minute. Just come and just soak in.